0: Raymond, it's not yet a race week, it's not yet after the race week, right? But we're here right before. Um, Clara Manzano here on behalf of Raymond Kodala, former junior international Philippine card of the year. Claudia Perrine is on her way hustling through the traffic. It rained in Metro Manila, but wow, there is no better way to start off the F1 season with an F1 Quentuhan session or chat, as we say. So who the heck are we again to be talking F one? But who the heck am I? Right, hey, Raymond, you're a harder the year. <laughs> who the heck am I too? <laughs> so I just get your credentials right now. But let's bring in our distinguished guest, all the way from Hong Kong, a place you also call home, Raymond. We got. Matthew I agree. B. Yeah, Marsh. Yeah.
1: Hello there. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on the show.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for your time too, Matthew. We appreciate it. You know, before we just kick off with our F one and racing chat. How's life been treating you as of late?
1: Can't complain. The weather here is beautiful today. And I went out for a run in the hills and uh, thought about what we're going to discuss tonight. So I'm excited about that as well.
0: Raymond, do you regret leaving Hong Kong? Weather there is great. It was crazy here, tropical weather. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, but last time I was there, it was really, really great in Hong Kong (laughs) compared to what it is now. Okay. So anyway, Matthew, before we get started with our iPhone chat, you know we want to bring this detailed analysis to the people because as I keep telling everyone who the heck are we to be saying it we're just a bunch of well I'm just a fan and a podcaster Ramos guy with the credentials like you, of course we want to get to it first and foremost um could you tell us about your motorsport background?
1: I I can. I'm just a fan as well. And I, I, you know, I have, I have news, which is that everybody who's, who works in Formula One, certainly most of the people that I've had the pleasure to work with in the teams, the journalists, the drivers, they're all massive fans as well. So don't, you know, when you say, I know you're saying it tongue in cheek, who the hell are we to talk about F1? We're exactly the right people to talk about. You're exactly the right people to talk about F1. Our fans, are, you know, are, are what our viewers, listeners are exactly the right people to have comments because that's that's the beauty of sport. And so anyway, anyway that's the key point. I mean, I, I just, I'm going complete, I'm not even answering your question. I will have forgotten what your question is by oh, the time. <laughs> I, but I'll tell you an example of this, which is there's a journalist called Simon Aaron who has been writing for decades and no longer covers Formula One and writes for Motorsport Magazine, I think. And I remember standing with him at the window looking over the grid of the Singapore Grand Prix start probably five or six years ago as the cars were on the grid ready to go. And he said, doesn't change, does it? The the feeling, the the tingling on the back of your neck. It doesn't matter how many Grand Prix or other forms of motorsport you go and watch. When you're watching the start, the same for a kart race. And that's because we're all fans. So that's a good long answer to a simple question.
0: Well, I don't mind, but again, because you're telling us who the heck is Matthew Marsh, for the people who do not know you yet. You're saying you're just a fan, but you do know your stuff. I mean, take a look at the screen, everyone. Champion, 2004 Porsche Carrera Cup Asia. So you have those credentials, we could say. Not everyone here is a Porsche Carrera Cup champion. And, wow, you competed in Le Mans. So... You have the credibility, I can see.
1: Yeah, so I was very fortunate that I had the opportunity uh, when I was 17 or 18 to race, and I was really bad, and so I had the opportunity to stop <laughs> and go and get a real <laughs> job. And, you know, so there's a lesson there. But uh, then later on, about 10 years later, I suppose, having gone out into the world and learned about life and business and how to tackle problems, I suppose, I had the second opportunity to go racing and, you know, having done some karting in the meantime and having made some money, so I could afford to buy a Caterham racing car, Caterham seven racing car, pretty much entry level. And, and then got, you know, if you like better and better. And, and then the Porsche Carrera Cup Asia was a brilliant platform because it meant, you know, the critical thing about motorsport is very capital intensive. Yes. Need a lot of money. And I was able to go out and, Sell to sponsors the concept of being involved with Porsche, Carrera Cup Asia, and me as a guy who is sometimes on the television talking about Formula One. If it had just been me, it'd been like, yeah, who's this guy? You know, who the hell, who the hell is he? Who the heck is he? So, uh, <laughs> it, 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 oh, good, right? Sponsors ring. So, and it all kind of it all kind of tied together. And there are moment there are various moments that. You know you you turn one way or the other and you have success or failure now you've been very kind and listed these sort of highlights of my career in on track and of course the reality is there's there were many 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 points when i failed and got things wrong but we forget about those when we're telling a story and um so but the bottom line is to now to answer your question i'm very fortunate to go to race on track this is a picture of the nurburgring 24 hours in 2008 with Aston Martin, I won the Porsche Carrera Cup in 04, raced at Le Mans a couple of times, did Daytona 24 hours, I don't know, five times, um, and did all of these great races. Along the way, I learned about the sponsorship business because I needed to generate commercial partnerships for a lot of the racing I talked about. you know, The drive with Aston Martin came on merit, and it came on merit because I'd generated money to do other racing that had shown people that I was capable of driving a car to some degree. And then- And then so that's sort of doing the driving, the commercial part. And then the third string to my bow, so to speak, is the TV. I was very fortunate to start in 1994 covering Formula One on what became Fox Sports Asia. You might remember it as Prime Sports back then and then Star TV and then eventually Fox Sports Asia. And so those three things tie together. And again, like I'm saying, now that we look at it in the year 2022, it looks like it was a really well planned, organized, executed, you know, plan to get to be a motorsport uh executive personality whatever you want to call it it certainly wasn't um but it, it, it's very lucky i'm very fortunate how it's how it's turned out
0: mm-hmm. yes um so our other host claudia peran just came in so yes claudia
2: indeed. I'm Matthew. so sorry i came from a, from a from a football match uh so yeah, i was kind of i'm kind of late so
1: no problem at all it's good to have you yeah. here. glad you Thank made you. it through the rain
2: uh yeah well it wasn't raining when on my drive back so
1: so then what's your reason for, sorry we were given this excuse that that clara was very kind <laughs> and oh. said you're driving through the rain it and was it, it know, was sort of thing, and then it
2: no, when i was just,
1: driving <laughs> you basically stopped off for dinner with some friends and then yeah saw... i did, I, did. I, I had
2: some beers <laughs> and you know it's eight I o'clock know what already
1: what's yeah. going on
2: and so i'm like oh gosh so I'm just gonna to have to follow and then pick up on the questions because I I missed the first question. I missed the first part of the of the show. So no worry. Yes, come yeah, no no on. Oh, it was raining on, on my out. side of
0: town. I can say at the least. I don't know about Raymond. He lives close to me. But you're telling us about your sponsorship experience. I think you also run a consultancy. People know you as that guy. Oh, talking about F1 or motorsport in the camera. But I think you have that consultancy group of yours too.
1: Yeah. So I was very lucky that I that I, as I mentioned before, I went away and, and got involved in business and then I came yes. back and started racing again, age 27 or whatever it was. And so I already kind of understood that if you've got a big problem, if you've got a mountain to climb or you've got a hill to climb, you take it one step at a time. And, and, and as a racing driver and Raymond knows this, you know, you, you started and you think, well, I need to be fitter than everybody else. I need to mm-hmm. practice more. I need to have a better mechanic. I need to have my tires in better condition and so on and so on. And that, that, applies to motorsport more than i think most other sports and one of the things is is money because you need of course the time as an athlete to be ready but you need the cash to be able to pay for so you know we're seeing now on, on screens Macau grand prix world touring car championship event in 2008 and my sponsor was city of dreams and without them i wouldn't have been able a race so i was able to convince their cfo that they needed to do an event for their uh, partners and uh that, the core of that would be me driving a racing car around the streets of Macau. <laughs> Luckily he took that idea oh, on. I mean, um, that's a, I, a, yes. That's just, so that's what I now do. So I've stopped driving. I still do the TV, which we'll talk about later. And now my day job, 90% of my time, is talking to brands in the way I used to about you know, using motorsport as a marketing platform. But I'm no longer saying, and there's this great guy. He's unbelievably talented. And charming. He's called Matthew Marsh, and he's racing at Macau. I don't have to do that anymore. I can actually, I can actually say. That's good. Sounds good. Yeah, it does, right? And I can actually say, what what you know, what, who's your target audience? What are you trying to achieve? Da, 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 da And over a period of time, and often it takes a long time, work out how motorsport could help that brand achieve its objectives and what form of motorsport. Is it Formula One? Is it MotoGP? Is it endurance racing? Is it karting? Whatever it is. And that, and that's what EDJ, uh, my business does. Is it, yes. We are we're like a media agency working in the medium of motorsport.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic to see where you've been able to go afterwards. But Raymond, I think you have some racing-related questions about Matthew. We kind of segued up post-racing, but let's turn the clock back a bit.
3: Yeah, um, I just want to ask if uh, ha- um, if you really uh, if you did do karting, uh, h- how did it go for you?
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, I didn't cart before I started racing as a teenager. I started racing at 17 and Formula 4, mm-hmm. and I'd never karted before that, which is foolish, really. But then I did later, when, after I'd moved to Hong Kong. I'm born and raised in the UK. And I started karting in actually in the Philippines. I, I came mm-hmm. over um, and raced in Carmona. Yeah. Carmona?
3: It's yeah, it's yes. Carmona Racetrack,
1: yeah. That's yeah. where uh, yeah. I started as well. Raymond's right yeah. home track. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny Tan's track, right? Johnny Tan, yeah. And Johnny was and brilliant. And he still owns it. Yeah. 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 I, I I can't remember exactly how I got connected, but somebody said there's a track. It's not too far from Manila. It's run by a great guy called Johnny Tan. I remember ringing him. Fax, I remember faxing him, I think. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, we can organize a cart, two carts. My friend Matthew Bale and I went over and we over a period of two or three years, we came over quite frequently and got in, you know, started to understand racing and it started out as fun. And I do remember, I'm going to be quite slightly unfair here, but it's good fun. Mm-hmm. I remember that I was, There was two things. I was struggling with um, competitiveness, right? Which is everybody mm-hmm. is other than the winners. Mm-hmm. And one day somebody mentioned something about a fuel additive. Mm-hmm.
4: Fuel it's additive.
1: Really- so <laughs> we spoke to the, the guy running my car, another guy called Matt, I think. There was the, Myself, my best mate, Matt Bale, and then I think the mechanic was called Matt, so it did get confusing from time to time. And we said, this pure additive, oh yeah. Um, are we using it? No. Is everybody else? Yes. Uh, why are we not using it? It's not legal. Why are they using <laughs> it? <all> those <laughs> but it's one of those things where, you know, if no one's testing it, then it's not, you know. So that was that was the first thing. And then, the next thing, and I think I did, I think I might have won a race and I came close. Anyway, then it rained and I won a race in the rain. And I remember somebody being very complimentary and saying, basically, you only won because you are heavier than everybody else and it gave you more traction. <laughs> so remember, you didn't give me any sympathy when I was losing because I was supposed to, i <laughs> on weight before the wet race. I don't know, being, you can tell I'm scarred by these memories. No, it was really, it was, it was fantastic fun.
0: Fantastic fun. Oh, I think we're starting to dig that hole already into the local scene of karting. (laughs) Interesting stuff. I can't believe that you started your karting here. Yes, but what is this transition of going as a journalist or a broadcaster? Because again, we just showed, oh, Matthew Martius, not just a fan, but you have your racing experience, too. You're not just some random guy speaking in the camera. You have the credentials to show. So could you tell us about this transition?
1: Well, the TV started actually before the proper racing career. So I mentioned those two years I did Formula Ford in the UK or a year and a half yes. that were not very successful at all, other than learning how to rebuild racing cars, which I did quite often from crashing them. So I, that was successful in that department. But along the way, I'd also, um, and this is what I'm saying, that you know it looks like it's all very well structured and whatever, and it wasn't. I mean, there were moments where i was at brands hatch racing circuit in the uk mm-hmm. and the famous commentator brian jones um he was just the voice of brands hatch basically and i saw him and i said something like you know on the spot i said oh i've always wanted to be a commentator i don't know where that came from but i said it you know you, ha- you know how you say that right <laughs> like, well, maybe you don't but and he said well they're the steps come up and join me <laughs> So I thought, well, oh, crikey, now what do I do? So, of course, when I, at some point, he said, come up when it's quiet and we'll have a chat. So I went up when it was quiet. What a nice thing for that gentleman, sadly, passed away last year, um, to do. And so I went up and then there I was, suddenly commentating around. action. now, that was only for a few minutes and it was, it was him being kind. But then he, he then said, if you want to do this, what you need to do is come back when we're racing on the long, the Grand Prix circuit, where there are two commentary posts. You can be out in the free, in, in the in you know the further one. You need to do your homework. You start off by doing one of the you know, the lower races on the card. It's like anything in life. And and in a similar way, I'd been writing, doing some writing for Motoring News, uh, newspaper, the racing newspaper in the UK in the same way. Anyway, the point is that you do all these things and they're not connected together. They don't look like you're building a resume. But then here in Hong Kong, Star TV started. They had Formula One. They had one person in the studio, Jonathan Green. And... He was on his own, so it was fine if everything went smoothly. But if there was a red flag or any form of delay, he was suddenly having to fill. And, of course, they had some video packages or whatever. Anyway, whatever the reason was, I decided to call him and offer my services as a complete unknown person with no experience in television. And he correctly was quite suspicious of this and suggested we might meet for a curry first, which we did, and we got on famously. And then the Macau Grand Prix at the end of that year, 1993, there was a storm and the race was delayed. And they were filling, and he said, Matt, come upstairs now onto the rooftop of the Macau Guanty control building. And um, we talked, filled time, and it was dreadful. I was dreadful. He was fine. I was dreadful. It was, I found it, it was truly dreadful. And um, never no, really, truly. And, he, and somehow the producer said, Come and have a chat about doing Formula One next year. So that's when it started in 94.
0: You gotta start somewhere, like what they all say, of course. And it's yeah. very humbling to hear about yeah. your beginnings, right, Claudia?
1: Well, yes. I tell you what I think it is. Sorry, and i will just interrupt myself again. But the and you, Claudia. But I think the answer is you, people giving you opportunities. Because if Johnny hadn't said come up, if we come for a curry, if he hadn't then said to the producer, can you please have Matt come and join me on the roof? If the producer hadn't said yes, etc., etc., etc. So it's mostly about people saying yes to you.
2: And if it's not you saying I wanted to be a commentator, that yeah.
1: would right? That would exactly yeah. yeah. It starts with asking, right?
2: So you're currently um, of course you were a commentator and a journalist. And how did driving help you give those, you know, those details in in the uh, in the commentary box?
1: Mm, that's a really good question. And I think it's the it's that it, there are there are, I mean there's two different skills and sometimes right. they combine, right? And I'm I'm not talking about myself, but if you think about Martin Brundle, he's got years of success on track and dealing with adversity and whatever. I mean, you know, he was upside down, sliding down the barrier at Monaco in whatever year it was, 84 or something. He's, you know, raced at Le Mans where a tyre failure will kill you. You know, he's done all of these things, right? In that area, yes. Lots of success and lots of drama and worked with teams at incredible length. Anyway, my point is he's also... somewhat naturally, I think, but he's sort of journalistically trained by himself. He's caused that himself so he can be succinct, so he can think about what he wants to say and deliver it. And that's not always compatible with being a racing driver, you know, but he's got the benefit of those two things. And I've been very lucky again with people. So Peter Windsor is is a mentor to me. He's a, a former journalist. Well, still is. He's got a brilliant YouTube channel, Peter Windsor. Yeah. easy to find and yeah. he does brilliant videos and he was a team manager at Williams in the 1990s he was he was the guy that helped Nigel Mansell become oh, successful yeah. he, and that, so, on, so, on, so on and so on oh my
0: gosh sorry the golden yeah. age yeah you were saying
1: Nigel Mansell oh my gosh exactly.
0: I
2: remember him. I loved him exactly,
1: oh, exactly. I mean also he tells brilliant stories about Nigel so what's not tonight and um, <laughs> <laughs> right and, is it, so, and I'm going to get on to, so I'll talk, talk about Peter because, also because I think, you know, people who are watching the show might think, oh, I need to, if I don't already, and many of them will, because he's got hundred and something thousand followers already, and he's brilliant videos. But he, there I was on the King's Ride in London in a coffee shop, and Peter walked in, and I said, hello, because I recognized his face, and we started chatting, and then we ended up going out for dinner and became best mates. He was the best man at my wedding, and... Uh, I was almost said more importantly than that. and That would have been problematic. I didn't mean that. What I mean is that in terms of this show and the topic of motorsport, what was brilliant was that Peter taught me two things. Well, taught me one thing, which was critical, which was to look for good examples. And so one of the things that he would often say was, what would Michael do? So we talked about Nigel, and that's great, Nigel Mansell. But what would Michael Schumacher do? And if ever there was a situation, what would Michael do, Right. And that's a really good template, I think, for success. Because if you think what would a guy like Michael Schumacher do? Well, he would make sure, for example, he was, you know, fitter. We know this. He was fitter. He had the best team. He had the most money around him. He had, he had all the advantages where he could, where he could, including being the best in the race car, because he taught himself to do that. And um, Peter taught me that, and taught me also a lot about how to. I was about to say express myself succinctly, having proven I don't do that just now. <laughs> Claudia, yeah.
2: no okay so let's say Matthew, you know you're you're experienced uh, you got you said yet you you're a race car driver a journalist and and also a commentator if i was someone that was new into formula 1 right how would you like make me fall in love with formula 1 or race car driving hmm. using your commentary uh, expertise what are you going to let me look at while the car is racing in, you know or what will I listen to so I'll be more I'll get stuck into the game uh, to the to the race
1: well okay that's a really nice question again you're good at questions Claudia. I don't think of one to ask <laughs> on <the show>. <laughs> <laughs> sorry let's look at that through the through the lens I think of drive to survive shall that's we right yeah. yes that's it's crazy yeah. formed formula one in many ways right and I think what it's what Drive to, Drive to Survive gets criticized by people. And that's okay because it's successful. So successful things, you know, they attract criticism. What it I think one of the reasons Drive to Survive is as good as it is, is that the man that led it to happen was a guy called Sean Bratches, who was brought in so when Liberty took over Formula One, Chase Carey came in to run the sport as CEO. By the way, he's the most underrated person in Formula One in the last decade, in my opinion. The things he's done, no one ever talks about it because they, they're kind of in the background. But yeah. he completely restructured the sport, including commercially. Now, one of the things is he hired Sean, who, who had already retired. He got Sean out of retirement. Sean was the commercial head of ESPN beforehand. So he's an entertainment person, sports TV person, knows what he's doing. He came into Formula One with really a fresh set of eyes, had no experience of Formula One at all. I think that was an advantage because he was then struck by the things, Claudia, to your point, that were attractive about Formula 1, that are attractive about Formula 1. And I think he thought immediately, if I can put that in front of a general audience, I'm going to suck up a lot of those people into our sport. And that's what we've seen happen. I think, I think, if I'm not mistaken, after the first series of Drive to Survive, the skew male-female went from 70-30 to much nearer 60-40, and the age skew went from it went, it went 35 and up it went down from 35 mirror to 25 right so which for marketeers is the sweet spot of course you know an older more male demographic maybe has higher spending power that's the old bernie model you know remember bernie said I, yes my, you know, about buying rolexes that's great it's fine and there's a lot to be said for that still let's not get it wrong but of course you know people that are 25 are going to become 35 in approximately 10 years' time so it's quite a good idea to get them on board if you're if, if you're widening your or if you're growing your audience that's what drive to survive has done how's it done that I love this picture Jackie Stewart what a legend yes um,
0: I'll keep happening. it there much longer don't worry yeah
1: because, <laughs> I've got some good about Jackie in a minute so um what do they do what do they do with drive to survive well they what they show is that there are twenty drivers who are all almost all very attractive and I don't necessarily mean physically or by being handsome. Most of them are actually, and they're physically attractive because they're fit, but they're attractive also because they're driven and focused and motivated and all those positive things. And a lot of them are quite humorous and they're mostly in very intelligent. And so I think that's a a key aspect. And then you've got um, the complexity of the sport, which can sometimes be, can put people off but the way it's presented in Drive to Survive is a challenge that people are coming together to overcome, whether it's the challenge of having enough money or the challenge of working out how to get your tires into exactly the right temperature window, whatever it is. So the point is the Drive side Survive brilliantly, I think, distilled all that into something that is, you know, visually and orally attractive. And I think, uh, uh, Cloudy, that's the answer to that to your question. Really.
0: You know, when Carrie. Came into F1, I was starting to see so many changes. I'm like, wow, it's so much easier for new fans to to learn because I was watching in like the 2000s in the Schumacher era, and I just ended up studying myself. And then with all of these, it was fantastic. You had you had fixed car numbers; they were much bigger, similar to that of NASCAR. They were explaining the tire compounds, so you didn't have to do your own reading. So I think we're here today. And some people go, Oh, I'm into F1 now, because only a handful of people in school would go, Oh, yeah, Michael Schumacher's the guy. Yeah. And this and that.
1: Well, and I'm going to credit Chase with that. I don't, and this is me guessing, but I'm, but <laughs> you know, I can imagine Chase Carey would sit in a meeting and he would say to the 401 people, Why are the numbers not bigger on the cars? I might, this is, I'm yeah. just making this up as an example. And they would say, Oh, because and something. And he would just, Eyes would blaze over. He'd say the numbers need to be bigger because the fans can't recognise it.
0: I think you have well, a he, point, Matthew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry, I was cutting or, off. Well, right there. Say,
1: or things like tire warmers. He might, and you know, there's been a challenge to get rid of the tire warmers for right. years and years and years. Right? Like, IndyCar doesn't have tire warmers, right? They seem right. to be mm-hmm. fine without the tire warmers, right? Okay. So it, it's, it's challenging, old didn'ts. The 20 best drivers in the world, I think they can deal with it. Now, the point is massive saving in money potentially. I can imagine oh. immediately. Where it's chase, he, they might say to him, oh. oh, but the trouble is you don't realise the tyres. And I'm sure there are technical reasons, but mm-hmm. he would have the ability, he'd have this, the advantage of not knowing and understanding it, and therefore not caring about it, and thinking about mm-hmm. the bigger picture. I suspect that for Stefano Domenicali, as brilliant as he no doubt is, he's got a different kind of challenge, which is when they start trying to sell him on a concept. Stefano, we do need to have you know whatever it is, some you know like we used to have these. Brake ducts and wing bits and everything, all this detail, which is kind of fascinating if you're that And it's not, is it? No one cares. And he would probably get sucked into the conversation as Chase would just go, I've got a lunch meeting at 1230. Can we get through this? (laughs) Keeping it it simple, bringing
0: in new fans. Yeah. If I can just say real quick, when I watched my first race in 2010, my dad was telling me, rule number one, buy the souvenir package. That way you can tell the design of the crash helmet Who's driving the Ferrari? Who's driving the Red Bull? Is it Vettel? Is it Weber? Back in those days, so I think you just hit the bullseye right there. And Where was you,
1: that? you went to a race?
0: Oh yeah, um, I went to 2010 Sepang and 2010 oh. Singapore. Ah, oh, wow. fantastic! So, yeah, life changing. I've,
2: I've, I've been to two as you went, well, right, both, yeah. both both mm-hmm. in uh, Melbourne, because I, I lived oh. in Australia for 10 years, so I got the chance to mm-hmm. fly to uh, uh, Melbourne. That's to a great Melbourne. event. Oh, oh god, yeah. We, who won there? Michael Schumacher, I think. Jensen Button crashed in one of the. I, I forgot already, but that was like 2010. Mm-hmm. So I had another. Qu- I've,
1: go I've got a question. Sorry, I've got. I host a Formula One show, so I, I'm used to asking questions. Oh, go oh, ahead. <laughs> Sorry, hey. I've got a question. It's an honor to get a question from Matthew on the Bobby, show. Yeah, you t- so here's the thing. Do you, do, do, hands up who watches IndyCar racing?
0: I would watch Indy. Yeah, from time to
1: time, I can say so. Okay, Raymond doesn't watch any comparison. Nah,
0: did. I
3: just watched watch Formula One. one. <laughs>
0: <Okay.
1: What laughs> Formula Three,
0: Formula Three, Macau. I'd watch that.
1: Yeah. Ah, okay, Formula, Formula, three, three? Yeah.
2: I, I've
0: Formula
1: seen three,
4: three,
0: yeah. yeah. I yeah. Okay,
1: yeah. uh, oh, about... Matthew,
0: may I cut you off real quick? We yeah. watch British F4 because there's a Filipino there, yeah. That oh, yes. season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Eduardo yeah. Cosetang. He guested on our show too, so
1: yeah, he
0: has some interest. I can say, like, we're like, oh wow, someone in the Filipino. With the Filipino flag, finally, yeah. Oh, it's sorry, great. you were saying yes. No, because what I was going to say was,
1: if you look at Formula Three, Formula Two, IndyCar, NASCAR in particular, you don't know who's going to win the race before the start. Right. Yeah. With Formula One, it's m- much more easy to predict who's going to be on the mm-hmm. podium at mm-hmm. least. And yet, it's Formula One that has a billion fans, half of whatever it is, right? So the question to you is, why? What is it about Formula One? that means it has more fans than the other formers of racing.
0: I think they got to show that, you know, you're racing in Monaco. It's the playground of the rich. So this is the best of the best. You have the fanciest of the fanciest. Someone, my brother popped by when he was off F1 for a while. And you like, wow, that's some nice merchandise. And I just popped up the first stuff you could see on the website of Ferrari. So straight away, I think people just see it's the cherry on top in every single aspect. And that's what drives people to it in my opinion yes
2: that's actually a good question well you know my um i i I watched nigel mansell so i think the marketing at that time was just focused on formula one so i just followed formula one throughout that time and then uh i I know that there i think formula three and four they're they're as exciting as formula one but i think the marketing and the the way they 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 showcase Formula One is just up there, right? The especially last year's race with uh, Max and 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 uh, Lewis, there was that ending where there was a controversy and all that. So after that, people started, oh my gosh, you should watch um, uh, um, Formula One now because twenty twenty two because there might be other controversies that are going to be showing on the on the laps, right? So I think it's that they they create stories that a lot of people just want to stick to and yeah. listen to understand what's going to happen.
1: So I'm, I think I'm sorry, Raymond, I'm going to let you have a chance. Tonight, yes. But I'm just going to jump in there because what Claudia said, I think is right, is that it's show, it's, it's a show. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, on our uh, Go F1 show last year, uh, my guest, uh, Alex Young, a former F1 driver, made a great comment, yes. which was drive to survive becomes dynasty which was talking about the hoop, you know, it was the team principals arguing on the radio and all the pointing fingers, which is part of, to your point, Claudio, is, is the show. And that's great. And that's what's made Formula One attractive. And the, the the good news for fans, I think, is that many of those who've been attracted recently by the show and it being more readily available and understandable have a long, if they want to, a long road to walk on because it's a very complicated endeavour, Formula One racing, very... And, and there's a lot to see. And so, you know, the racing driver, so the racing people, when you watch now, you say, ah, oh, the way that guy turns into the corner, the way he's protecting the tires, the way, the, you know, all of these the pit stop times. That's what I enjoy. But that's no more or less important than somebody enjoying the drama between Christian Horner and Toto Wolf. They're both equally valuable. Mm-hmm. And the point yeah. is that <laughs> it has all these different components. And many people, as we talked about, are, are being attracted by the, the drama of these great, actors and actresses on the stage of Formula One. And then as they get more and more invested in the sport and familiar with it, they're going to start to learn all these other things that we find, probably, because we're more familiar with it, fascinating. I think that's really yeah. good news for Formula One. Yeah. A long way to go.
0: Raymond, I think you wanted the question, or you can answer your answer first.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I was going to say, I was going to agree with Matthew at uh, Formula One at the end of the day is entertainment for us Formula One fans and uh, yeah I think not all people know that uh, racing is highly dramatic and uh, especially what what happened last season I think it really gives a whole story about what Formula One is
1: yeah it's great I think it's also I think I keep coming back to this point about it being very attractive I think it's just I think it's visually I'll come at it from a different angle when I I went to Le Mans in 1987 as a spectator and stood in the grandstand and watched the cars go by as the sun set and glowing brake discs and flames coming out of the turbochargers. And I was listening to Dire Straits. And it was just, I can see it now. And it puts, you know, the hairs in the back of my neck like, you know, whatever it is, 40 years on. Because it's, like I said, visually just really attractive. And it motorsport goes really well to music. I mean sport goes well to music. I think motorsport, particularly racing cars, decelerating, accelerating flames. I think there's so much about it that's attractive. And that's before we even talk about Carlos Science, which is a topic another topic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Smooth <laughs> operator, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, well, okay.
1: I said to what Carlos you, once yes. I said I said to him, um, I said to him before an interview, I said, Oh, somebody was sending me. Carlos oh, Sainz, wow, it looks so good in red. And he said, who was that? And I said, oh, I said it's a friend. He said, are you going to tell me who it was? And I said, no, no. It's it's quite I thought you must get compliments like that every day, but he still pretended it was new and fresh.
0: <laughs> so we have some photos here with the different personalities. Unfortunately, wow. no photo with signs. but you know, what's it like being in the midst of the hustle and the bustle of an F1 weekend? Not everyone gets to say they're literally in the paddock interviewing these personalities you can say or the athletes or managers whatever you want to call them
1: it's uh, fantastic and it's um it's something um yeah I, I i suppose i i again i had the advantage of having been around the sport for quite a long time as a competitor and then you know being a grand prix in the support races or being a journalist before i started to do what you're seeing here, you know, interviewing people on the grid and in the post-race, uh, what they call it, the media scrum or the, you know, the media, the pen. pen. Yes, yeah. so scrum is not the official word, but it's much better.
2: <laughs> much, <laughs> much, well, much better, we talk about rugby,
1: <laughs> but it's a much better description because it yeah. is very, it is tight. And well, that's actually kind of the point, really. So when I, I had never wanted to do that because I wanted oh. to be. I, I didn't want to be doing the thing of asking the same question to the drivers again right. and again that's the thing that I did not want to be doing and I much preferred to be the pundit on the show mm-hmm. going around and talking to people in the know and watching things and observing and then trying to distill that into a sort of smart ass comment right at the end of the race or when I was being asked by you know Paula you got here, here's Paula obviously and, and oh, yes. uh, Jasmine and, and Alex yeah. there and yeah that was kind of the bit, the role I thought I I liked this where Get lots of information, think it through. Again, going back to you know, what would Michael do? That that was I'd learned that from Peter. It was like there's always somebody who knows better than me here. So I would go around the paddock and find Mark Hughes, the brilliant journalist, and say to Mark, I'm confused about this topic. Can I just go through it with you and find a technical person? You know, go find a a tyre guy to talk about tyres. And so you. So then you can, I would give the impression of knowing what I was talking about, but basically I'd found somebody else who knew what they were talking about. And then I was, you know, sharing that with the viewers. Okay, that's my job was being the conduit, right? And maybe trying to add a little bit of humor or or a strong opinion to go with it. But then, and I know this is not the question you asked, but you're sparking some interesting thoughts in my mind. So if you'll let me ramble a little bit, I'll try and be amusing. But then when in 2018, Fox said, do you want to go on the road and do basically all the races bar a few? And be and do the do the do the punditry and do be the presenter from the racetrack. It means going and doing all of those interviews in the media pen and in the scrum. I thought about it. I Thought, oh, yeah, I do, of course I would. Yes, but this. So how do I how do I manage this? And again, I rang a few people. Steve Dawson, who was one of the presenters at Fox, I rang him. Oh yes, watched yeah. him. Yeah, he was great, and he was like, just remember every day that you have to justify that you're there. He doesn't mean justify to your employers, but when you're speaking to the audience, give some benefit from the fact you're there. You know, you hold up something and talk about, you know, it's cold. Look, I'm covered in rain or whatever it is. You know, showing people what it feels like to be there. So you're helping them understand and, and get a feeling for it. The other thing was, these media scrums. It's a lot of people packed into a small space. The driver comes and stands in a particular place. You can see it here. Basically, only one yeah. camera is going to get a clear view. And if two, if two people are standing side by side and they're two cameramen, their cameras become increasingly at an angle. Like this angle here from this camera, which is probably my producer, Rauchan, took it. Is, he's taking it on a camera, on a, ph- a photograph, right? Mm-hmm. So it's fine that it's the side of Lewis's face, but that wouldn't work for an interview. So typically, you're trying to get your camera in the middle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically, I thought, I think this is a job for collaboration rather than competition, which is what happens. Of course, everybody's fighting to get the best angles. So I went to Will Buxton, who we all know now, super famous. At the time, he was yes. less famous. And I said, Will, I've got an idea, which is, can I stand next to you? So you've got the main shot. You're doing it for Formula One. We'll get our cameraman as close to your camera as possible. I don't need – we don't have an ego. I don't have an ego. Fox doesn't have an ego. We don't need to have my name, voice, anything. Happy to take your questions. And I'll just let you ask questions, and I'll – put my microphone next to yours and the driver only has to answer once so it's happy days to everybody he's like yeah mate of course happy days and I said then if I think of something different the, the sort of thing that I can ask as a former driver or smart ass question I'll do that but otherwise we'll let them go and what because Will got the point and helped do that it gave it took out all the stress of me having to try and fight with my camera and get into a good position and fight the others whatever I had a you know buddy and I was next to him The drivers worked out fairly quickly. I wasn't going to be asking questions unless necessary, so we were making their lives easier. And the whole system worked really well. And once we got that going, it was an absolute joy because not only did I get the chance to interview the drivers, but I got a chance to chat with Will about stuff. And he's really fascinating. I mean, he's a massive Beatles fan, right, for example. (laughs) And he I mean, like a proper Beatles fan. He's a proper music fan, and just so we talk about the Beatles, talk about all sorts of things. And then, oh, here they come. And, and, and he's also a brilliant interviewer. And I learned a lot from him standing next to him. I'm not sure if that was the answer to the question you asked. I can't remember what the question was. But, was very, very
0: <laughs> but we're just learning. It's just we're like just Master learning in Dense. Yeah. <laughs> like, we love it, yeah. <laughs> this is Keep fantastic, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're learning, of course. And Will Buxton, as we know, is a fantastic presenter. He does the post ratios also, like you. He has his own channel also in doing it, being able to interview the guys of, like, Jack Aitken, who's also in your show, mm. also worked alongside other guys like Petro Fittipaldi. But first and foremost, Matt, I hope you don't mind if we just take a quick pit stop as we have some messages from our partner. So we want to remind you, remember the Globally Ballin Network. So again, do head to GloballyBallin.com for your original content and do give them a follow on social media. If you're on Spotify, thanks for tuning in. Just make sure to click the link for more information. Follow us on social media, our page itself at WTHAW Podcast. If it has to do with sports, we cover it on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe on YouTube. That's where you can catch our episodes outside of Facebook, Along with our sister shows. And again, sister shows too are available on Spotify. Listen anytime, anywhere. And for their shows, they got Eliza Valdez, um, chatting with Denise Dinsay. A valuable personality, of course. And of course, it's hang time and that's the place to go with Denise Dinsay. And then we got Mac Dionysio as the guest in our new show, Mukbang with Jojo. Great valuable conversations again with John Maraginot. Being a, being a player herself, so she's been able to drop so much from her fantastic guests and their great mukbang, of course. And for our many sponsors, we got Chops To Go, New Era, Hinalupan Farms, Barrio Fiesta, Fujimama for your Asian food, Georgie's Delights for your great peanut butter cookie chum. And you got your, the Daily Ounce giving our aqua flasks as we have right here. Big to carry for a pit stop, though. You, <laughs> era Chops to go thanks for sorting this out too. Our caps are fantastic chips from their branches in SM South Mall, SM Bakuta, and SM North Edsa. Last but not least, Cuts Apparel, thank you very much for outfitting the show. So, do check them out for your company uniforms, your biking polos, and you name it, they got it at Cuts Apparel PH. So that was a pit stop for you guys. I didn't get one. It's okay. I'll do no stop. How many stop seconds strategy. Did
2: you, how, how many seconds was that? Did you, <laughs> definitely, did you count it? Definitely
0: <laughs> longer than all the F one pit stops combined last season. That's oh for God. sure. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, no black flag for me. But um, guys, anything else you got for Matthew before we head on to our preview, of course, of the upcoming yeah? F1 season. We're all itching. Raymond, go ahead. Uh yeah, if we can go back a little bit, Matthew, is it okay?
3: Sure. Um uh I just want to ask what was it like? Uh because I know a number a number of drivers who've uh ended their Formula One dream. I know you went to racing as well. And uh what was it what was it like? Uh what was in your head when you had to really stop racing? When uh yeah, uh I, I, I don't know if you would agree that uh there's only up to a certain age that uh drivers can only race. For them to reach formula one and how did you take that
1: hmm so i think there's a couple of things that you've um, opened up there one is that formula one as you say there's 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 really only one route to formula one right and it starts very young and it involves a lot of money Mm -hmm. or well it was a lot of money basically some somehow it involves lots of money so I was talking to some somebody a few weeks ago a young young man who's still at school and wants to become a racing driver. Well, he wants to become a Formula 1 driver. And I listened to him and I said to him I said what I just said is that it might be physically possible for you to become a Formula 1 driver, but I think you should assume that's not you. Mm-hmm. But you could be a racing driver and that's great. There's nothing wrong with being a racing driver. And I'm saying that because like we said earlier on in the show, you know, Formula One is the kind of be-all and end all of motorsport from the perspective of most fans. When you when I if you say Formula One, most people in the street think motor racing, right? They don't they don't distinguish. And that's fine. But my point is, I didn't ever race Formula One. I race I did race a Formula One car, but not in a Formula One Grand Prix. And that yeah, that's obviously I would have preferred to be a Grand Prix driver in some Many, many ways, but I had a brilliant time being a racing driver, and there are many, many racing drivers who earn a living without ever driving in Formula One. Actually, again, it's almost like there are people that earn a living driving, driving racing cars. Assume that's not you. You're <laughs> to everybody. Like, but, but that's OK, because it's the, it's the minority minority people that go motor racing. Most people. Find money in some way. Either they earn it or they find sponsors and they go motor racing and they have a brilliant time doing it. It's a fantastic endeavor. And some people don't drive the cars, but they work in the teams. And it's a, so it's a brilliant sport. It's a brilliant sport. So I, the reason I'm saying that is that I think it's um, because Formula One has become, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, there was Formula One, there was Lamar, there was touring cars, whatever, and it was much more even than now. It's Formula One and there's all this other stuff that no one else has oh. ever heard, of, mm-hmm. basically. And maybe now, therefore, for young people, and Raymond, you've you you know this, you've put the light on this, which is good, to focus mm-hmm. on this, which is mm-hmm. maybe most people think, well, if it's not Formula One, it's not worth doing. I know that's not how you feel, but, you know, so I think it's important to say this, that there's some fantastic, actually probably most of the other motor racing in many ways is better. And... Mm. You know, you can enjoy a lot. If, so that goes on to the next point, which is, yes, if you want to be a Formula One driver and you're five years of age, it's probably too late already. I'm being a little bit facetious. <laughs> be, right? I
2: think they start
0: guarding seven normally.
2: <laughs> five yeah. <years> old? <laughs> yeah.
1: If you're 15, forget about it. You're not going to be – and you haven't started yeah. You're not already winning championships. Forget it. Oh, you wow. know but But that doesn't mean that you can't – go on and have a very successful career driving in sports cars. You could be, you know, and, and you could win Le Mans 24 hours. You could, because, because you can. And to, to your point, part of the problem is perception. Because people are going to say, oh, this guy just won in Formula 2. Yeah, but he's 22. I mean, really? But so, yeah, I think that's the answer to the question. Is two things. One is, yes, certainly if you're not starting in single-digit years in carts and you've got a lot of money to do it you're not going to make the full one, but that doesn't mean you can't have a great time. The second thing is you can go on being a racing driver until you're in your 70s. Paul Newman, the famous actor you probably know, raced. He raced in the Daytona 24 hours, and every year he would carry on his car, his age. And I think the last number he carried was 82. I think, I'll double-check what we're talking. I think Paul Newman really? was 80-something in his last what? motor race. And what started motor racing... Um, I shouldn't be doing this. So I'm alive. Paul Newman. Anyway, Paul Newman. I think he started <laughs> like racing older than I am now. I think he was 56 from memory. I can't. Find it. I think people can look it up. You know, uh-huh. I want to say Paul Newman was 56 when he took up motor racing because his wife bought him a driving, uh, you know, driving school thing. It is the wife. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, interesting, right? Yeah, exactly. And he went on, and on a race to race. i there I, yeah, yeah, you go yeah 81.
0: oh not not a bad not a bad guess early or a recall Quite exactly
1: close. and as i say i, I haven't I, I, I from memory he was 56 when he started oh my gosh so everybody who's listening you probably got time yeah you're yeah, so 81 in which case you're <on>
0: your Raymond, anything else? I got something. We carry on with this yeah, thing. Go of, ahead. It's never too late to race, right? I think there's this thing on Netflix, even before Drive to Survive, called Gentleman Driver, I think. So, they mm. would be racing an endurance race, and they just take turns, and they were businessmen. So, the, when they weren't in the car, they were making all their calls. So, it wasn't exactly all Formula 1, but like you said, they were getting into the different series. Mm. Yes. But, Matthew, we're loving this classroom session. You know, We can just go all day. I honestly do not <laughs> mind. The two don't mind here, but I hope we can carry on to the F1, you no know, upcoming 2022 driver lineup and what's been going on as of late. They had testing in Barcelona. They mm-hmm. had testing in Bahrain, too. Both great circuits for different reasons. But what do you think about you know, what's been going on so far? I guess we can start with the Haas. Kevin Magnussen came in late. We got an asterisk for drivers who are in new teams or teams finding them, finding new drivers with them?
1: Yeah, it's nice, and I, I I think I've mentioned already, and you can see it. I've put it I sneakily put it into my name on this show. Go F1 is our is our live post race show. So those of yes. you that used to watch on Fox Sports, thank you for that. And of course, it went away the beginning of October last year. So we created a new show. It's called Go F1, and it's streams uh, it streams on Twitter. This year, streams on Twitter, YouTube. And others to be announced. It's going to be very widely available. Um, but you can find Go F One Show on Twitter or my handle Matthew Marsh HK, and that's going to shift to Matthew Marsh F One. Anyway, you'll find me and yes. find us because we've got these live shows, thirty to forty-five minutes in duration. Myself, Alex Young is our regular guest. We have typically a, a, another person, the third person we've had in here. We've got. Stefan Johansson, the former Ferrari and McLaren driver. We had Danny Sullivan, the former Indy 500 winner. We had Jack Aitken, who's current you know, Williams uh, Formula One driver. Um, James Allen, who was the commentator in Formula One for many years. And yes. We've been very fortunate. We've got some very exciting guests. We've got Craig Scarborough coming on uh, for this weekend's Bahrain Grand Prix. Craig, of course, is a brilliant technical analyst, works in Formula One, sketches out what's going on. And he'll be able to help us break down not only the Grand Prix, but what's happening with the cars. So that's the plug for the show. Please tune in on, on it's Monday morning, but it's always available on replay. So you can also, unlike in the old days of television, you can watch our show whenever you like. So that's that's thank you. That's a message from our, that's a message from our sponsor. <laughs> yeah,
0: of course, Make, making this episode possible. Of course, you sharing uh, all thing. the knowledge you got. Yes, we got Jack Aitken right here, as you mentioned. Yeah, one of our great. guests. Great yeah.
1: guy and really good to have him on our show last year. And you were talking about the field in Formula 1 this year. We've got, got some uh, – Yes. You know, We've got one rookie, haven't we? In the, And that's Joe Guan Yu. Joe uh, is from Shanghai, very competent mm-hmm. racing driver. Mm-hmm. And because he came into Formula 1 with significant financial backing, people mm-hmm. have put, put a question mark next to his name. You haven't because you're much more polite. And I agree with you because the asterisk is <laughs> correct as he's new, but yes. there's, there's no doubt. I have watched him in the pre-season testing. It just, it just confirmed what I felt. Very competent racing driver. He knows what he can do, drives to that level. There are moments in Formula 2 when I was, wow, he's very brave, but not, never in a kind of locked up reckless way. He's just very good racing driver. I think mm-hmm. he's better than people think he is. Because he didn't win the Formula Two championship, mm-hmm. um, because he's got lots of funding, um, you know how that colours people's judgment. It's the same thing with
0: oh uh, yes, Lance yeah.
1: Stroll, yeah. You see on the page, yeah. Lance Stroll is a very competent racing driver. You don't get on the pole anyway. You don't win the Formula Three championship without being extremely and competent. Sounds like I'm being pejorative. I'm not. I'm just trying to make the point that you know you've got 20 guys in Formula One. How if we say they're all brilliant? Well, they are all brilliant, right, compared to us. But not compared to Lewis, Max, Lando, and others. So um, what else can I say to you? Kevin Magnuson? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, Kevin. Me.
0: <laughs> Sorry. He makes us laugh for a lot of reasons. <laughs> yeah. Why? Yes. Tell me about that. Oh, well, about Kevin Magnuson. Yeah. Oh, I think simply with Drive to Survive, um, him smashing a door, um, Gunther saying he does not fuck smash my door. So... So, when Kevin Magnussen came in, Has F1 released the meme making fun of that. I'm like, okay, the F1 season's here. But if you want to look at it in the proper perspective, I guess we can say Mick Schumacher has a barometer now because he was the barometer last time racing against Mazepin. So, we're going to see how far this Has car can go. And so, so a answer long me time. this,
1: Seth, my panel. Answer me this. Why is it? Kevin's great. Don't get me wrong. It's not about Kevin. Why, are we, why have we got a driver who finished his F1 career a year ago? Why is that guy? Car- yeah. That's coming been... back into Formula One now. What's the? There is a single reason why, I believe, and I want to know whether you... Have a, what do you think? Why are we having guys having to come back in?
0: Wow, this is cool. We get to answer your questions.
1: <laughs> well, okay. I
0: can... We're being tested. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the sacrificial lamb. I think... Yeah, go. Well, what I think with Kevin Magnussen is that they didn't have... They had two rookies last time, so they're not exactly the most ideal barometer. So getting a guy who knows the team and the team knows him, they're not going to have to play so much of that guessing game. And to add to the fact that he's been around for a long time, so he's going to be giving them that feedback because he already knows what he's doing. Yeah, Of of course, Mick knows too. Yeah.
1: But why is it... I'll I'll answer the question. Formula One has no testing anymore. So there is no way for a driver to be anything other than a rookie when he gets in the car. When Lewis Hamilton came into Formula One in 2007... I want, I haven't got this exactly right, but he was on the podium for almost all the races at the beginning yeah. of the season. He won his mm. fifth or seventh race. He almost won the World Championship that year. And he'd done, I think, 5,000 kilometres or 7,000 kilometres of testing the previous year. So he wasn't a rookie. He was a rookie legally, but he wasn't a rookie. Damon Hill only got his chance to be a Formula One driver with Williams because he was a test driver for Williams. And increasingly, the engineers were saying to Frank Williams and Patrick Head, this guy is really fast, he's really competent, he's graving us great feedback, he's, you know, he's costing us nothing compared to these really highly paid drivers, he's really good, give him a chance. And when the chance came, Damon stepped in the car and delivered. Now, if there hadn't been testing, that never would have happened. So what we've, we've locked ourselves into, and I know it's about cost cap and all that cost saving, yes. I, I under, kind of understand it, but it's why we get drivers hanging around forever, because there's no guys, we don't have a situation where the test team manager is saying, but he's half a second slower than our test driver. Oscar Piastri should be in Formula One this year, and there wasn't a seat for him, but if he'd been doing a year, if he'd been doing three months of testing over the winter, when Mazepin got fired by Haas, they would have said, we've got to have Piastri, because he's been setting times a quarter of a second faster than everybody else or something, or 10, you know, he's been consistently fast." But there's no barometer there's no there's no reference point. everybody like you said if they took piastri into has he's got to learn everything about formula one and I, I well, they want to do that whereas anyway thank you
0: well thank you for allowing us to get that yeah. chance yeah i don't know yeah. if you want to test raymond or no, god on you. any of the drivers on the screen before we get no. to the no. other no. half of the field
1: <laughs> okay prediction on alex alvin how good is he going to be how good do we think alex alban is going to be
2: Raymond, you're up. Yeah, Raymond, you're up. Yeah,
0: your turn. Yeah, I can blabber Um, too. I want to go ahead, man.
2: Yeah, I think
3: Alex Alban has a good experience through Red Bull, and he's done good progress throughout his career. Uh, I think he'll be batting good in the midfield. I think he'll over deliver.
1: Yeah. So we've got a reference point, in Nicholas Latifi, haven't we? So we have. We know that Nicholas was. Whatever it was, I don't have it in front of me, but you know, a couple of tenths slower than George got pretty close towards mm-hmm. the end of the time, wasn't embarrassing in any anyway. Again, very competent, very good racing driver. So, it'll be interesting to see how well Alex does. I think Alex is really good, and his trajectory was very badly managed by Red Bull. No surprise there, really. Dough so, program. I'm hoping that, yeah, yeah I'm hoping just silly, wasn't it? So, I'm hoping that he's got a chance to reset now and um. And I think he'll deliver really strongly, I'm hoping. Mm-hmm. I'm confident.
0: So I guess we have Aston Martin left on this chopping board before we reach the midfield or the upper half.
1: Yeah, think? Thing. yeah. I think we know that Seb is is um, can have days when he's not there and other days, if you know what I mean, where it's like, hmm, yes. days he doesn't really come together. Um, but I think he also shows every now and again He's still got serious pace. And I think it depends on the car, really. I think if the car gives him confidence and he's enjoying it and he feels it's worthwhile and that he's happy within the team environment, which is quite a lot of ifs there. But if those ifs are good, I think I'll come at it from a different angle. To me, the big question mark is, what's Aston Martin, Cognizant, Aramco, Formula One team, da, 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 whatever the name is. You can't fit it on the screen.
0: What, <laughs> Long name.
1: <laughs> what's that going to look like in... What's that going to look like in the post-Otmar uh post era? Because he's been the head of that team for a long time. He's a very seriously intelligent man and you know operator, optimizer. And his movement out of the team has got to have significant effect. Now they've got a really good person replacing him, this very well-funded team. I'm just interested to see how it is without without on
0: there. Mm-hmm. If I could chime in, Matthew, or you, and you can correct me, of course, if I'm wrong. Um, they were saying that Seb loved the car with understeer. That's why he was so successful with Red Bull in his championship days. So if they can find a way to give him that kind of car in this current regulations, I think he can be much more competitive, we could
1: say. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying you're wrong, but there's this, this, it's a bit like a kind of People get these, ah, oh, Lewis likes this and Seb likes that and whatever. I think Raymond would agree, basically, on track, that no one wants understeer. And what it basically means probably is that he'd prefer a car that's – that, and it's not about prefer, it's about comparison, comparing to different drivers. Like we can probably say, by observing it, that Max Verstappen is more comfortable, relatively speaking, with a car that's – that is I would say, less stable that's going to rotate more more quickly into mm. a corner right but it's tiny tiny amounts and it's so and then it's a bit you know, somebody will say it and it well oh, yeah sounds good and then everybody says it and it becomes like the fact and then i'm, I'm sure somebody would think understay give me a break understay is the worst thing for a racing driver because it means you're waiting <laughs> no. For a... no i don't want to <laughs>
0: Ooh, I love how it was debunked too, and now we know more.
1: Yeah. Sorry
0: about that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, We're learning, of course, because who the heck are we, right? This is why I thank you again. But we have the rest of the field here, pretty much the upper half. We got the World Championship contenders, AlphaTauri continuing to make progress. What do you think about Pierre? He's, sometimes we read about him saying that he thinks he should go to Red Bull and this and that. When Yuki had a tough year last season.
1: Mm. So we had on on Go F1 last year, we had um, one of our radio shows. We had Trevor Carlin, who runs, of course, the Formula 2, Formula 3, Formula 4, sort of the mega team of the FIVA series. Um, And he knows Yuki well because Yuki drove with him in Formula 2. And he said, when asked about Pierre, he said, I don't know Pierre. I've never had Pierre drive one of my cars, but I think he has to be mega because I know how good Yuki is. And Pierre's kicking Yuki's butt. So that was really quite a night. It was a kind of backhanded compliment, really, wasn't it? It's like Yuki's mega. So Pierre must be mega, mega. I think Yuki suffered from being his two edged sword. He's in the Red Bull system. So he gets into Formula One. He gets into Formula One a year too early or, you know, whatever it is, right? Super pressure. It's very hard work. And um, and we've gone. The other problem I was moaning about lack of testing. So, lack of testing is problem number one. And problem number two is the feeder series are running on Grand Prix weekends with pretty limited running. They don't get much testing either. So, you've got drivers coming into Formula One, I think, with less track time than ever in the history of motorsport. And that doesn't seem right to me. So, I'm not sure what the question was, but I think Pierre's going to be good. The Alpha Tauri, I thought looked good. I didn't watch the first test. Really, I watched the second test a bit. Right. I watched the last day, all of it. Bahrain. I thought I'd let everybody get organized before I sit down and watch it. That's the kind of guy I am. Um, I thought the car looked really good. Looks mm. visually looks really good. It went round and round and round and round. It looked pretty reliable. I thought it was good actually, but then the kind of listening to the commentators, they didn't seem to be as impressed by it as I was. Um, but I think we'll we'll wait and see on Alpha I think it's a, sort of an unknown, really.
0: At the end, you know. What matters is what happens after the lights lights go exactly. out.
1: Exactly. How they operate in the race environment. Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, how about Alpine? You know, they look like they look like the, the force India racing point. You name it now with the new pink livery mm. BWT. What do you think about this Alonso Ocon pairing? Normally Alonso's well, Alonso clearly established himself as the Alpha like he always does. But Ocon <laughs> seems to be nice. buying into things. I guess there's that men- mentorship or that bromance, we can say.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of things here, right? The first one is that the advantage of being a manufacturer. Mm-hmm.
0: Renault, yes.
1: And I the guess. disadvantage of being a manufacturer. Oh. By which I mean, you know, that it's always been somewhat political, the Renault environment. There's been moments when it hasn't been, as in when when fernando was there in 05 and 06 when they had uh, briattori running it it was there was felt like there was more gap between the race team and the corporation alpine is a very important pillar of the renault group's automotive activities the formula 1 is a very important part of that so it's you know it's very much embedded in the in the road car company, which has its advantages. And, but it, I think it also means the question mark to me again, and that's why, you know, I'm looking beyond the drivers in a way I was with yes. Aston Martin and Otmar. I think there's some question marks over the new structure. We saw Alain Prost getting moved aside. Yeah, it, it, the proof will be in the pudding, how it cooks this year. They had a, they had a, it didn't look particularly affected. the Bahrain. I, I feel like they're a day or two behind where they want to be. Um, car looks nice. Great, great. I'm in there. Great drivers. Um, They've got a problem, which is they're the only team running that engine, of course.
0: No customers, Uh, I think.
1: Yeah, which means that there's there's no, they've got, you know, Mercedes has four teams, so they have eight cars driving around collecting data. Ferrari have three, if I'm not mistaken. And um, Red Bull 2 and uh, Renault 1, they've got the least amount of data. And yes. that's not going to help you know, when, you're trying to, when you're looking for problems to emerge. If you've got mm-hmm. Mercedes have eight cars going out there causing problems in their engines that they can mm-hmm. look at and solve. And yes. that's definitely a disadvantage for yeah. If
0: I can ask one more thing about the Renault power units before I think Claudia covers Ferrari McLaren. Um, do you still see that they're suffering from, their, from what went on in the 2010s? Red Bull, Renault getting power unit problems back at that time, the likes of Robert Kubica. Of that we already saw their engines blowing up or just suffering failures, reliability problems. Did well, that a... snowball to where it is today? Like, I oh, don't we don't want to can... get your engines.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I can answer that accurately because I don't really know the answer to it. I, I mean, my observation was that they won the World Championship four years in a row as an engine, so as a engine supplier, power unit supplier to Red Bull. And they complained about the fact that no one knew about it, and it's it's true. Red Bull Racing won four championships. Sebastian Vettel won with a Renault engine behind him. Can't be that bad. And you know, I would say the blame is on Renault for not publicising that. You can't blame they were blaming. They were sort of pointing to the situation. This is why we need to have our own team because we won four championships and nobody noticed. I think they could have achieved the objective in a different way without having necessarily to own their own team. I do think that, you know, generally speaking, when you look at corporations, Mercedes is the exception to the rule here. When a massive car company owns a Formula One team, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. The exception being Mercedes. And I, 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 that's the problem they've got, I think, is that they've got a corporate mindset. Right. Ooh
0: very yeah, interesting all the time. and we're yeah. starting to see things in a different yeah. way now so yeah. can't wow.
1: wait can't wait I talk to brands every day about Formula One and I often mm. recommend Alpine because it's a really effective corporation some mm. great opportunities and they look after their brands really well so I know some of the partners they've got are very happy and Goes back to you know it's like a bit like you know are you too old to be a formula one driver it's like you know if you want to be a, if you want to be in a formula one there's only one guy's winning every weekend so yeah you know <laughs> then so you need to choose it on a breadth of a breadth of reasons not only winning the grand prix right
0: so call you on to you ferrari versus yeah, mclaren I, ma- battle which for third last year
2: battle for third last year and correct me if i'm wrong matthew but i think ferrari mclaren are the longest traditional rivalries in in Formula One. I mean, we've got uh, James Hunt, Nicky Lauda during the 70s. Um, For me, I'm like Daniel Ricciardo, for me. Uh, He's my favorite because he's Australian. What was he lacking last year uh, to bring McLaren up up to the ladder?
1: Nothing. There's nothing wrong with Daniel. Um, I'll say that. Nothing wrong with Dan. Daniel's a brilliant driver. Lando Norris is as good as Lewis Hamilton. Mm. We just don't realise it yet. Right. I I said this yesterday, we we're watching Drive to Survive. I said it, and my daughter said, Well, I knew it when I was eight, because she's a smart ass, but she was right because when it was in Formula Three, it was obvious. Kind of it wasn't. I mean, it's like a lot of it's obvious and it turns out it wasn't. I mean, but you know it's like it looks like it and it's turned out. I I I do think that, I, what I said, I believe it. I mean, okay, he's not as good in terms of being fully rounded, because, but he's as good as Lewis was mm. in his fourth, is he fourth year now? I guess, third year, fourth year, whatever. So he is exceptional. I think he's better than George. I think Russell, which is mm. saying something, I think George is amazing. I think he's better than Charles. I think he's really fabulous. And that's the problem Daniel had last year. Was he was up against? It's like it's like being Valtteri or Nico Rosberg or anybody else mm. had the misfortune. Yeah. The same as Hamilton. <laughs> Can we even
0: go Barrichello? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Oh my
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. That's that's the only thing wrong with Daniel was having Lando as a teammate. Because
2: Lando's just way above what you know. Under under was that underperforming because probably he's in the wrong team. Who? Lando Norris. Well, I
1: I mean, when he came into Formula One, that was the that was the choice, I suppose, where to go. And it was McLaren. I mean, Zach Brown's been looking, sort of managing him from his junior days because Zach's got a very good eye for good racing drivers and and thinking ahead, business wise. Um, Some people were surprised that Lando signed a long term contract with McLaren. I think he took the view. We're going into a new era, and that he probably looked at the overall picture and thought, Mercedes mm, George has got that now, and you know, am I even going to get in there? How long is Lewis going to stay there for? It could be another two years. Who knows? Ferrari, forget it. Again, same thing. Locked in. Um, Red Bull, Max is probably going to stay there. Could have number two to Max, but mm. whereas McLaren, it's his team. And they want him and they don't want any, you know, they, they want Daniel, but they, they're not looking at, there's no other person around. I think he made that decision and he thought probably McLaren was going to be closer to the front in the new era of cars because of the way they've restricted how much money you can spend and on, and on what. Um, so anyway, I, I'm a, as you can tell, I'm a huge admirer. I'm a fan of his, of course, yeah. as well, but I'm also an admirer. I think he's really exceptional.
2: Actually, uh, Daniel Ricardu, uh mentioned in one of the articles, it says that his, the rivalry now with Ferrari is a cool story. He said I said, okay. I don't know. Yeah, it we- and yeah. it's going to like
1: be like
0: 2008.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a cool yeah. story.
1: It is a cool story. So let's just go back a little bit. So I think the McLaren looked great, didn't it, in Barcelona the first three days. It looked less good in Bahrain. They had a the problem with the brakes which seems to be a combination of factors. And the car was going faster than, you know, the cars are going faster than I think the teams kind of might've predicted they were by a little bit. They're always on the edge in terms of performance. So McLaren didn't look great in Bahrain, but I think they'll, they'll come back pretty fast. Ferrari looked really strong. Yeah. And the car also looks fantastic. They've done a great job. Ferrari is a team that's been coming back, yeah. right? And they just continued. Yeah, they're coming back. They've kept the same, same old story, you know, about the, the you know, Mattia Bonotto, very calm, seems to have been given the confidence to just take time, not take your time, but take the time necessary to rebuild the team. Um, you hear people talk about um, the, the culture there now. You know, people are less fearful of losing their jobs over bad performance in the moment, and it's much more yeah. about just keep doing things the right way. Yeah. I think Ferrari so probably number three this year.
0: Yeah. So does that... So Battle of That's third. That's it, I guess. Yes, yeah. for Battle of Third. Sure. So let's get on to the grand finale, yeah. Raymond. The top two teams.
2: The story. Yeah,
0: here we go about Mercedes. Uh do you think Mercedes
3: has something cooking for uh next week's race?
1: Um yes, probably. You know, you can't you can never discount them, can you? Yeah. It didn't, it didn't look like they were sandbagging. By which, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, the car didn't look, it's hard to say. Like I said, I thought the Alpha tarot were good and then it wasn't that fast. But least, <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'll answer your question and then I'll comment. So the answer to your question is, as you know, right, we get to the racetrack on Friday, whatever, Saturday, free practice three, we start to get an idea, qualifying, you know, that's when you really learn, right? Mm-hmm. I would be surprised I would be surprised if there isn't a Mercedes on the front row, but it doesn't look like it's as good as the Red Bull, and the Ferrari looks mm. strong. That's great news for us as fans, is there six cars looking... St- you know, Ferrari could he, yeah. could he, You know, Ferrari suddenly are on the pole in Bahrain and be like, OK, yeah, it's not a total surprise, right? Yeah. So that's, that's <laughs> great news for us as fans.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll just add one more thing, and I think I've probably been talking for long enough, but one more no thing... No worries, is, no worries. The one thing <laughs> I'm slightly uncomfortable with at the moment is that the cars are very light on the front if you know what i mean they've got the, the, the way the aerodynamics work is you notice in testing if they lock up the front axle it's very difficult to get it unlocked again and so there's a good and a bad about that and the, it's a little bit like someone's racing in the rain you know you see a guy lock up and he can't get it unlocked and he loses two seconds And so the good news maybe is it's going to punish mistakes and that I've always liked H-pattern gearboxes because people are more like to make a mistake under braking and therefore you can put someone under pressure and they make a mistake and you overtake them. There's a bit of that. It just looks it looks a little bit cumbersome. And I think that in Bahrain, you know, a little bit of lock up and you run wide and go over the curb and you're onto the dust and that's fine. Another circuit's going to be boom, run wide is running into the wall. <laughs> so I think some races it's like Saudi uh, with the barrier so close, Azerbaijan, hmm. Monaco. This is relevant to me because with the Go F1 show, we, we have to choose a time to go live. And I'm always thinking, oh, God, what time is the race going to finish? <laughs> and for those <laughs> cars might be smashing themselves up against the wall. It's going to become more complicated. I think the cars are more difficult to drive than last year.
0: Mm-hmm. I think there's complaints about the weight and this and that. They wanted to raise yeah. the minimum, if I'm not mistaken. Claudia?
2: Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go off topic from from the, this driver's lineup, Matthew. If I may, you know, I, I was driving, going to Carmona. Of course, I think you, I know that you know Carmonas, and I. Uh,
4: stopped
2: did. at a, yeah. yeah, Matthew I, learned I karting car- there.
0: Yeah. Matthew yeah. learned how to cart there.
2: Yeah, I, I stopped at a petrol station and I pu- I uh, put air into into my tires, right? And my rear tire was 18 psi. I'm like, oh my gosh, it should be like 30, right? And then started thinking, this is a question I'll ask Matthew later. How important (laughs) is this is so technical? Yeah. The PSI in a in a a tire. Because when Raymond, Clara, and myself, you know, when we when we go analyze a formula and we think that we're really good. (laughs) What the heck are we? Analyzing. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, the questions whether how important the PSI in the tire, how important is it? Actually, even like yeah.
1: Critical. Um, I, I, I want to say that the tyres are, I don't know, I think it is. I think I'll come at it from a different angle. I think last year what we saw between Mercedes yeah. and Red Bull was they would arrive at the circuit and we were thinking, you know, get on, go F1. I'd always ask Alex, who's yeah. going to be strong next week? And he'd say, well, based on, you know, history and this, that, and the circuit layout, probably Mercedes or probably yeah. Red Bull. And then what we would actually see is that one of them would get it just right in terms of getting the tires working. Um, you know, there's a, a window of the temperatures when they work correctly, and then if you overheat the tires, it starts to lose performance. All of that stuff is is very difficult to understand, and very difficult to manage as a driver and as a team. And so, to your point, if you're running your tires at almost half what they should be, that's not good. Yeah. That's not, yeah. No, I was like,
2: oh my gosh. So I'm like, okay, I have to have that check tomorrow.
1: Yeah, so the teams (laughs) are always wanting to optimize, and as you probably know, there are rules in Formula One on how low you can go on. In fact, not how low it's like that they keep the tires artificially high on pressure to protect them because if the tire pressure is low, the tire flexes and it can end up breaking the structure of the tire and causing it to explode. So they keep the, the, the teams are forced to keep the pressures high. So, um. It's absolutely critical on the road. It's important because at the same sort of thing—the car is going to perform. You can imagine, by the way, if your tire pressures are different on all four wheels, that when you—if you have to suddenly brake in an emergency, your yes. car is unbalanced before you even start. So and you can feel yeah. it. I was yeah. feeling
2: it. It's like okay, I have to, I have to check my tires. Eighteen, mm-hmm. and the rest were like 30, 30. thirty. I'm like, oh gosh, so I have I to have you know. that. I have to have that tire check
1: tomorrow. So. No, you do.
0: Yeah. I think there was a season where they had to reinforce, like, that floor for tire pressures because they were having an issue at a certain circuit. But we have a question for you specifically, Matthew.
4: Oh.
0: Who will win this year's Drivers' <laughs> Championship? Now about constructors. Very straight to the point. <laughs> hmm. Well, I don't know. If I
1: don't oh. that- know.
0: Who would you put your money on? Oh, if I can share real quick, when I visited the ESPN Star, when I watched Singapore in 2010, so Gary Anderson was there, Steve Slater was sick, and I asked him, "Who do you think is going to win the race tomorrow?" And he just said, "I'm put my money on Alonso," and he did, and Alonso won. So, maybe who would you put your money on if you had that chance?
1: Um, I, I don't actually have any idea which I like because, you know, in previous seasons you said, well, should be Lewis, should be based on what we know, right? But mm-hmm. based on what we've seen so far, I really don't know. I really, wow. I, yeah, pick one of Lewis, Max, Lewis or Max really, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a Ferrari driver.
0: But i'd go with science <laughs> yeah. that's just me though being with ferrari yeah.
1: and i would say constructors i would say mercedes because if we assume mercedes is going to be competitive they've got two guys who are you know those two are better than the two at red bull you know in totality you know what mm-hmm. i mean and especially terms of point scoring i think so that's slightly unfair no it's not unfair it's anyway slightly unkind <laughs> yes
0: John Marval went straight and just gave his opinion. I think he's siding with Renault or Alpine for winning constructors. So he must be riding with them and Alonso. Yes. Oh, he must but mean, given, oh yes, yeah, sorry, you saying something.
1: anyway. Anyway, it's nice. Yes.
0: Um, nice. we had a crazy shakeup of regulations. 2009. Um, the ord order was really changed up. 2014, they shook it up. I think not as crazy as 2009, and we're having another set of rule changes. So do you think? things will be as crazy as how it was back then like oh no this team wasn't so good last year and here they are now taking advantage do you see that happening this year
1: no not really i think um i think we've already seen in the testing um that the established order remains kind of the same and I think it'll take a little bit of time but at some point the, the, hopefully the field closes up what i think all we actually want to have happen is that if the top team, if a top team has a bad day then a, a a third place team mercedes or a ferrari can more easily win a race that's what we really want to see is if mercedes dropped the ball on strategy or red Bull, it's not impossible for another team to win a race that's what we really want to see right? like,
0: and i think reason. we had an we had a number of that stuff last season that was great like esteban won that race we all wanted to see it
1: yeah that was quite a significant yeah. dropping of the ball i mean it just if, if, yeah. they, if they that's when they kick the ball completely off the pitch but if it was um you know where they just get the strategy a bit wrong that's where oh the mercedes and mclaren get the strategy right then they're in, in for a chance to win more regularly i think is what we'd like to see as a minimum
0: Yeah. We like seeing those other guys win and just take advantage of those opportunities. I think it's great for the sport. Well, we Mm -hmm. love it as fans, it's so unpredictable, yes. But wow, I think that wraps up our F1 preview, Matthew. But we want to give you the floor again, I guess, to invite people to watch your show. Say hello to your fan club if you have one, your family and friends. (laughs) We can give you the floor again. Uh, I
1: just, yeah, thank you. I've, I've had it's been great to chat with you, I really appreciate it. And, and your enthusiasm for the sport is, is really infectious. And as I said at the beginning, there's no, there are no people more important to the sport than fans. So who the hell are you? Or who, sorry, who, the, who the heck are you? <laughs> You're the people that count. Oh I, my God. I, I would encourage you to tune in to Go f one and, uh, and we also take questions on, on Twitter and other platforms later this year as we roll out some new features. We really want to interact with the fans and our viewers and that's we've got some exciting ideas coming up later on but in the meantime you can definitely uh send us questions on twitter and, and enjoy Alex's always good good value and uh as i mentioned we've got craig scarborough on for the bahrain grand prix on sunday night so that should be should be a great show
0: i'll make sure to tune in and we just want definitely. to say matthew yeah thank you so much for joining us we love this chat we're heading into a new f1 season and we're just thinking in a different way as fans thanks to you we just want to say thank you so much for your time and you know thank all you. the best yes my pleasure thank you yes thank you, right. i hope thing. you don't mind if we can just put you backstage and then we'll just close the show yeah all right i don't know what to say but i wish we could time jump to saturday qualifying you know heck, even, <laughs> fri- even friday practice i watch friday practice if some people don't so please don't judge me but that's what i do so, guys, what do you think? I won't judge. You. F1 Quentin f F1 chat. I'm well, ready. Well, I'm, I'm learning.
2: I'm learning. I'm more. I'm ready. Yeah, right. Re- I want to I listen to this uh, show so I can, after every race, I'll be able to give more analysis when we have the mm. show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I like, I like his tire answer, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which means I'm really, really uh, keen on putting more uh, air on my tires and fixing that. It was 18. Imagine that I got scared. It's
0: pretty low, eh? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. slow.
2: And I felt yeah. it. I felt it. I felt it in mm-hmm. my car. So but I, I like I like it. I, I was more of a uh a student now than 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 you know than the host, which is good.
0: hmm And that's your let's not forget, of course, we have Raymond to Carter of the Year. I go to Raymond for like, oh, no, I think there's something wrong with the car. I go to Raymond, I go to my dad. Hi, Tita Bong. Thanks for watching. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Raymond, great episode, right? We got to change up the way you think. And you're an experienced guy already, but Matthew just brought so much to the table. Yeah, there's so much I've learned, especially the inside of F1. Mm.
2: So many things, so many yeah. things. Are
0: you going to change the way you drive now next time you hit the racetrack? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> question, Question, of course. Yes.
2: I, I do want to say to Matty, when he's here in the Philippines, I, I think you could hear us now, Matthew, let's go go-karting, and I, I'll, I'll just watch. I'll, I'll watch you and Raymond, <laughs> uh, watch you and Raymond uh, uh, race. Probably Claudio will race with you, so um, I'll just be mm-hmm. in the paddock watching you guys, There's but so uh, we should cooler. go and hit the ra- racetrack.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hopefully a bunch of car tracks are about to open and reopen in metro manila so maybe we can do all the met we can have the f1 nerd fest there with the Definitely. f1 club of the philippines yes so it's great guys i think we can wrap up this episode we'll just run the obb and meet matthew backstage caro yes. here in behalf of claudia perrine and we got ready of course <laughs> i know right you said a fastest slap. no i'm just kidding you drove safely so yeah. drive safe on the road right it's only racing. On the track. So that does it. So we will catch you in our next episode. Make sure to stay tuned. Oh, thanks a lot, Jed. Just make sure to give us a follow. We'll try to keep giving you all that fantastic stuff. Hope you had a blast. Peace out, guys.